Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now to what you've been waiting to hear. Just a little uh, comment to make before we start this episode. This episode, normally I record in my basement, and uh, but right now it is January 7th in Ohio. It is negative 8 degrees outside, and I can't record in my basement because the furnace is always running, so you'll have that sound. So I came up to my room, but I'm wearing a winter hat. I've got a coat on. My house is uninsulated, so even... Even with the furnace running inside my home, I bet the temperature in my house is probably 50 degrees and uh, 55 degrees maybe tops, and it is really cold. So in this episode, there is some noise from my coat, and I apologize, but I wanted to make you aware of that before we started got started. Uh, but now on to the, uh, the uh, this episode of Mormon Discussion. Welcome to today's episode of Mormon Discussion. Today I want to share with you my view on same-sex attraction and uh, homosexuality or homosexual behavior. This this episode is one that I have wanted to cover for a long time, but have also been very hesitant and reluctant to do because my views are likely going to offend people on both sides. And that's not my intention. I'm not trying to offend conservative Latter-day Saints, and I'm not trying to offend those who uh, have same-sex attraction who or who are practicing homosexual behavior but i do want to give my thoughts because i think i think generally there's a balance and the more we can talk about it not being black and white but coming to some kind of grips with this being complex and what that balance is i think will make 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 each of us more able to discuss and contemplate this issue and to have a dialogue so with that, let's kind of start. <clears throat> and, and I'm probably going to pause a lot. I'm probably going to uh, stutter my way through this one. And uh, and I want to make it clear, if anybody is offended by what I say, please email me. Let me explain further. 
I fear sometimes that I think things in my head and then I go to put them into words and it's not always as successful as I, as I want it to be. Uh, but with that, I had a, a communication recently with uh, one of my closest friends. He lives uh, nowhere near me, lives uh, actually in another country. But with this friend, we've had conversations. We've we've spent time together talking about the gospel, and I certainly appreciate his perspective, and he's often implied that he appreciates mine. And as we talk about this issue, it's apparent that we we think a little differently on this one. And it was his conversation with me that prompted me to jot down some of my thoughts. So let me share some of them. First, let me say that I absolutely stand with the church on several issues. One is that same-sex attraction is not sin. I have run into multiple members of the church who still think that having same-sex attraction is a sin. And they are unable, where they're at currently, to separate same-sex attraction from homosexual behavior. So I, I do that. I make that distinction. And I'm in no way, shape, or form have any problem theologically with someone who has same-sex attraction. And I support them, welcome them, and want to include them in every single way and not not isolate them in any way, shape, or form. I, I also want to make it perfectly clear that I stand with the church in its current policy and doctrine on homosexual behavior being sin and not being permitted in the sense that anyone who is committing such an act will be unworthy of certain blessings, including temple blessings, and will also um, need to repent of said behavior. <clears throat> Beyond that, and even as one hears that, that it's going to get complicated from here. I've had members point to me before Spencer W. Kimball's book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, and relate to me that they stand with his teaching that homosexual behavior can be corrected in some ways or that other sins lead to one being homosexual. That, for instance, if one um, is committing the sin of masturbation, that one would be more likely to be homosexual. And in that regard, I, I very much disagree. I, uh, I lean on Elder Christofferson's quote from the Doctrine of Christ talk, where he says that not everything a leader says or writes is doctrine, nor is it binding on the church. And while in general I like Spencer W. Kimball, President Kimball's book, The Miracle of Forgiveness, on many points like this, I completely disagree with him. A prophet is a prophet when only acting as such. And while I agree that homosexual behavior is, is can, on rare occasions, be tied to one's ex- life experiences, such as sexual abuse or other psychological issues... I see the majority of cases of homosexuality as in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if I want to use the word genetic, but I want to say they are born with it. And I want to say it is rarely, if ever, a choice. And I think the church, for the most part, would take that same stance. Number two, I want to say that while many leaders have, in the past are documented on the record as having stated that same-sex attraction is a choice or that one can fix it, I, I'm completely in agreement with recent leaders who have backed away from that and are clear it is not a choice in recognizing that previous leaders were limited by their culture and experience. But that also means that current leaders may also be limited by their culture and experience. Number three, some parents 
feel compelled to they can feel, they feel compelled by what they perceive as their need to defend the church and its teachings and they see that need to defend the church as authorizing them to do and say things to their gay children that are wrong i've seen and heard and i want to and i want to say this i want to say this i want to say this is rare i don't i don't think this happens normally and it happens on a rare occasion but it still needs to be talked about that there are parents who disown their children who kick them out and make them essentially homeless they 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 in some ways stop loving them or even state to an extreme that it would be better if they were they had died or were dead and i want to state unapologetically this is flat out wrong and to me is more sinful than the homosexual behavior in the first place number 4 the book of mormon scripture that we use to teach that sexual sin is second next to murder in my opinion, is interpreted incorrectly. And at the very least, we ought to understand that there are multiple interpretations of this scripture. Uh, Michael Ash, an apologist with the church, a member of FAIR, wrote a wonderful article in Sunstone Magazine that offered other interpretations or insights into this scripture. I think all of us would be better off to at least read that and at least understand that, that, that the one view is not the only view one can take. And I personally do not take the view that sexual sin is second next to murder. I think there's more going on in 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 the life of of this person in the scriptures and being talked about in Alma chapter I think it's thirty nine than what we what we grasp in an initial face value surface reading. Number five, we are often taught that doctrine is truth revealed by God. That it comes through revelation, and if it changes, that occurs also by revelation. But the recent article on race and priesthood indicate that while in earlier church history we taught that such things as interracial marriage as sin, and the theories behind the ban, that many of those things were taught as doctrine and accepted as such universally in the church, that they got it wrong, and the church today disavows those theories and those previous ideas that were held as doctrine, I acknowledge that that means that it allows now for today some current beliefs that are taught and held as doctrine to 50 to 100 years from now to turn out to be nonsense. And I'm not stating that the doctrine on homosexuality is one of those cases, but I also am not stating that it absolutely couldn't be. And at the very least, this should give us pause when when understanding leaders' statements as binding and authoritative, and at least ought to direct us towards the Holy Ghost as we come up with our own personal stances on these issues and how we're going to think about them and understand them. Number six, I'm not fighting for homosexuality to be sanctioned in the church but what I am saying is that I will fight for us as a people to become more sensitive to the complexities of this issue and that we ought to be real careful when we're using our theology to isolate, marginalize, and ostracize others. And I think for far too long and far too often, we have given our homosexual brothers and sisters our, no other choice than to remove themselves from the church or to be removed from the church. And I think we've got to find some way to do 
something to to at least give them the opportunity to participate and to be as inclusive as we possibly can without without changing the doctrine or the policy simply to accommodate what the church believes currently is sin. Number seven, we want to sometimes use the example that there are heterosexual brothers and sisters who have denied themselves of sexual fulfillment in this life because an opportunity to do so in the right and proper way has not occurred. And we want to use that example as a way to say that all of our brothers and sisters who have same-sex attraction should also spend a life not having that type of fulfillment or that type of relationship or that type of connection with someone. And I'm not just talking the, the sexual aspect of it, but also the love and the, the friendship and the connection that one has with a significant other. I, I don't think that many of our heterosexual brothers and sisters have chosen this. Many would choose to be married and to be in a relationship, but that opportunity has not presented itself. And so it's not that they of their own free will are casting it out, but rather the opportunity hasn't shown itself, which is different than saying with someone who has same-sex attraction that they're to simply turn away these opportunities to have this kind of fulfillment. I just think it's different and it's more complex. And I think many of our heterosexual brothers and sisters hold out hope that it will happen in this life, whereas we're asking our brothers and sisters with same-sex attraction that the only peace they're going to have is to look forward to the life after this one. And I think that in, in and of itself makes this a more difficult paradigm. I I recognize that when I was interviewed by John DeLynn in Mormon Stories, I was asked by him if, if I was requested to set aside any sexual experience with my spouse for the rest of my life if I could do that. And I want to state here and now that no, I, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could. And so while I applaud others who have such strength and who hold such ground, I will not condemn those who, like me, see such weakness as too hard to bear and and choose to form such loving relationships in this life. Now, I, I still sustain the church in its policy and doctrine, is seeing such choice as sin. But just as that person is choosing to sin, I recognize that I and every other heterosexual member of the church chooses in some way or another to sin as well, and that while we each need to repent, I also welcome all my sinning heterosexual brothers and sisters as much as possible to be included in the church, and that through that love and and, and fellowship and inclusiveness that there's strength there that allows each of us to continue to change for the good. And while likely none of us will put off all of our sins in this life, that any progression, I believe, is loved and appreciated by our Father in Heaven and points towards each of us heading in the right way, even if there are still giant obstacles in our life that need to be corrected. I also want to to state that... I'm not a big fan of using the Old Testament to justify how we see certain behaviors and sins. And I recognize that in the Old Testament, we can take scriptures that condemn homosexuality. And we can use those to justify how we see this issue. But I would also state there are lots of things in the Old Testament that our leaders today would say is nonsense. 
and that those views, just like the race and priesthood view of the 1940s, that the Old Testament view on many things was simply wrong and was out of place and was based on a leader's culture and experience, a prophet's culture and experience, those who were writing down these stories and scriptures, their culture and experience. And so I'm open to much of that being wrong. So I, I, I rarely will use the Old Testament to justify these types of complex issues. And I would much rather look to the New Testament and specifically look to Christ. And in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, we have the only instance where the mortal Christ, the, the Christ who, who lived his 33 years on earth, encountered someone who had something other than a, a heterosexual preference. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, the King James Version says, For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs who were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. What the Savior is saying here is that a eunuch is someone who does not, a male, who does not have a heterosexual preference, who is not sexually attracted towards women. And what the Savior is saying here is that there are some of these people who do not have a sexual attractiveness towards the opposite gender who are born that way. And there are some who are made that way. There were some men whose genitals were cut off so that they could serve high-powered people, upper echelon leaders in society, without that leader having to worry about this person having their way with their wife or their harem while they were not present it also kept these males from developing physically so that they were never really strong enough to overthrow this leader. The Savior ends by saying that there's a third example of eunuchs who choose to be such for the heaven kingdom of heaven's sake. And essentially what I would relate that to is like a Catholic monk or a Catholic priest or a Catholic nun. That somebody who religiously has chosen not to be in an intimate relationship with another person simply to glorify God. A modern translation of this in another version of the Bible says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, there are some who are born this way and that we should accept it. Now, I don't think we can overstate this scripture to say that Jesus is condoning homosexual behavior. But I do think what he is saying is that he is acknowledging that some who are not attracted to those of the opposite gender are born this way and that we need to accept that they are born this way. And I think that's as far as the scripture allows us to concretely take it. But I think too many of us have not gone that far, even that far. In conclusion, I simply ask that all of us be more understanding of how complex this issue is. And also to always be kind and to never use one's faith or theology to demean or make another feel less than or as second to. And, and I, and and in stating that this issue is complex, I fully acknowledge that in many ways this issue can be seen as a slippery slope in that there are lots of sexual preferences and behaviors, some which fall within societal norms, some which fall outside of societal norms. And that, in some ways, this issue eventually, and it already is within society, 
is opening up the dialogue and discussion of where we draw that line. And that in the church, if someday there was a revelation received by our prophet and apostles that determined that we had incorrectly held a stance on this issue that was not appropriate, and at that time make a change, I would fully, completely, absolutely support and sustain such a change. But that I also state now that I can understand the church's stance and recognize that in seeing sexuality as a slippery slope and that there's this wide spectrum of sexual behaviors and at where do we draw the line on what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, what is okay and what is not okay. And and it's not a simple discussion. So I simply end with we ought to be more open to having this dialogue, to talking about these kinds of things, and that this isn't this isn't simple, that this is a very complex issue, and that each of us is free to hold what view we want, but recognizing that the church also has a right to hold whatever stance it feels is appropriate, and that if we're to be in the church and to participate into take advantage of the blessings of the gospel within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that there is a line to what we can, what stances we can take and which positions we're going to hold publicly, and that there's, it's appropriate to have repercussions, repercussions for one's stance, and so each of us are going to have to make decisions on how we, we publicly discuss how we see this issue. And, I, and I'm trying to be as as uh, conscience, conscious of, of how this episode will be perceived by others, but at the same time trying to say as much as I can, I do I, do I think the church is wrong in this issue? I'm going to state I don't know. I don't know if the church is wrong in this issue. And until the church acknowledges it's wrong, if ever, I'm going to sustain the church's doctrine and policy. Could the church be wrong? Absolutely. Is there precedent for that? Absolutely. Is there room that this might change someday? Yep. If it does, would I welcome it? Happily. Excitedly. Because then it means that there's a larger section of this world who can feel accepted by the church and participate fully in the gospel. But I also am not calling for that. I'm not going to plead for it. And I'm going to sit back and wait. And I'm also going to state emphatically that with all of this said... We each need to be extremely careful how we treat others and that we ought to do all we can to make every single son and daughter of our Heavenly Father feel loved and feel accepted by Him in spite of whatever divides there are in worthiness between where they are and where they need to get to to be exalted. And I hope that this episode has gotten each of you thinking. I bear witness of of God's love for each of His children. I bear witness that the Lord has suffered and made a great sacrifice and made an atonement for each of us that we each over the course of our life might change to become like him. I bear witness that each of us are sinners and each of us fall short of the glory of God and that through his grace we each can change to become more like him and that each of us has weaknesses and shortcomings and I pray that we might treat others just as the second great commandment tells us that we might love our neighbors as ourselves. And might I add, might we love our neighbors as we love our Father in Heaven, even our neighbors who who have same-sex attraction or who have chosen to participate in homosexual behavior. 
May the Lord warm your shoulders. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Taking out my issues never heal